What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Sofa Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Jewell. Joined, as always, by my best friend, former roommate, and co-host, Reed Dank. Reed, how are you doing today? Brother, I'm great. We got some postseason baseball going on today. I'm very excited for that. I'm sure our, our boy Tone will be very invested, either despite his Yankees not being in the playoffs, and it's awesome to see. Yeah, with the Yankees not being in the playoffs, I don't know how excited he is for that, but the Orioles are in the playoffs, which is not something that I expected to say. I can't say that I've watched much Orioles, but I do know that they made the playoffs, which is a big deal. And they also, I believe on the same night that they won, what what did they, did they win first in the AL? What, what they, what they win? I can't remember. I believe, and, and, and I got to just stand corrected if that's the case. I believe they won the American League East with the Rays and Blue Jays behind them. Who have now made the postseason? Okay, so the night that they did that, they also announced a thirty-year extension agreement to stay in Baltimore, which is a huge deal for Baltimore, for the Orioles, for the Ravens. I think that that's great for the city. So positive around there, which is not something that we're used to saying. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm I'm excited. Baltimore is such a sports town. Although, if your Orioles happen to come across my Blue Jays, it's game over, man. Game over. Well, is there a chance that they end up playing each other? I don't even. I I used to follow baseball back in the day, but I couldn't even tell you if they're are they both in the AL. What what's the situation? Could they end up playing each other? Yeah, of course. So they have to play each other before the World Series, no matter what. They're both American League teams, and they're both in the same division. So they didn't get bracketed with each other. The Jays have to make the wild card against the uh, Twins. So if that happens. They have to then beat Minnesota, and then they have to then beat Houston. And then you guys have to beat who the winner of Tampa and Texas. So whoever makes it of that, you'll have to play them. But I have a feeling, man, I, I think we'll actually meet in the AL championship. I, I don't think the the Astros are all that there right now. I still think they have some problems they haven't gotten over. Um, and I think that the winner of Tampa and Texas, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Tampa is a pretty strong team, though. Very interesting. That would be fun. Adley Rutschman, trying to name off a couple names here of guys that I know that I've seen from social media. He's he's the dude, though. Any other baseball thoughts before we get into the main topics of today? Oh, you didn't even get into Gunnar Henderson, how fantastic he is. If Cedric Mullins can get it going, he's a tank. Um, you didn't even mention Anthony Santander, and he hit like 30 homers last year. He's a maniac. So no, there's a bunch of depth in that Orioles team. They're gonna go far. I just um they lost one of their closers just recently to injury, Felix Bautista, and that's a huge loss. That's that's a massive loss. He was the closer who I think he got them to at least 60 saves or, or at least 60 wins. So that's a detrimental loss. I hope that you guys can get over it though. Yeah, Gunner's Gunner's amazing. He's a he's a stud. And then the pitcher, too. I just I just saw that the other day, and I saw, too, that he might be out all of next season as well, which, I mean, that would be very unfortunate. Luckily, it's a very young team, but that's a big blow, like you said. Yeah, it's something in football we don't talk about. Tommy John's a big deal, so it's a hard surgery to get over. Tough, tough, but we will see. Hopefully, the Orioles keep it rolling. That's a lot of fun. Let's get into football. NFL, big week, week four. We're already over 20% done the season, 23-point-something, 24-point-something with 17 game season, which is crazy. I feel like we had such a long time building up to getting into the season. Now that we're finally here, it is just rolling by so fast, but both of our teams off to a hot start, which is great. You got yourself your second victory Friday and I got myself a victory Monday. 
Both teams took care of business. So we're going to try to go through every week four matchup and give our thoughts. A lot of storylines coming out of this week, some injuries to note, which is really unfortunate. I feel like some big names got injured this week. So let's start it off with the first game of the week was Thursday night football. The Lions go in the Lambeau and play the Packers. Lions have won three straight. We talked about this last week. They have played, you know, they've been good this season. And then I think we talked about how week one they played good. Okay, week two is a loss to Seattle, one and one. So it's kind of up and down. Week three, they get a win. And then now they play the Packers. So we were kind of trying to see, like, are they for real or are we going to get this back and forth throughout the season? And then they get this win, super dominant. Hutchinson plays great. They had a couple just stellar plays on defense and love to get your thoughts here as the Lions just go in the Lambeau and dominate the Packers 34 to 20. Yeah. I mean, it was an unrivaled shutting up, right? I mean, it, it started off like it was going to progress, you know, a little bit uh, as a normal football game, but, but as time went on it, the Lions just took this game over. Um, and, and it was the first half unlike anything I'd ever seen in Lions football history. I have never seen the Packers get blown out in this fashion especially on their own home court. You do not lose at Lambeau in that fashion. And they did. And they did. It was the, it was really just this tide turning weirdness, right? I'd never seen that many Lions fans travel to Lambeau before. Lambeau was blue. Lambeau is blue. It was immensely awesome to see because we had all of this built up to last week about how, the, the Saints' comeback was was immaculate, right? That was supposed to be the, the tide-turner for the Packers, right? Jordan Love was supposed to start balling out. Um, and to a certain extent, he did. And I'll get to that in just a second. But one of the worst first halves you could ever have if you're Jordan Love. And, I mean, how many times in the first half did we see him get sacked? Four or a lot five? Of, it felt like a lot of sacks, at least a lot of pressures. No, and it, and it absolutely was, and, and understandably so. It was a rough first half for them. They couldn't. It felt like on most occasions they could not get out of their own fifty. And and it's true. There were times where Jordan Love couldn't get out of his own twenty. I will credit the Packers and Jordan Love in one aspect. In that second half, he had some moments where he turned the burners on and really showed that they could at least make a comparable comeback. Right. So there were some moments where I'm like, wow, this team is, is also a little bit comparable. Jordan Love has that upside. But I want to mention um, how amazing of a defensive player Brian Branch is and how sucky it is to see him go down the way he did. We still have no update on him yet, so we don't know any timeline for him yet. Um, thankfully, we have a fully healthy, and as you saw in the game, amazing David Montgomery playing out in the field. We were still a little bit – and you and I were texting throughout basically the whole game. Yeah. We find a weird testament, right? Not enough touches for Gibbs. We only wind up getting about seven or eight in total. And a couple of those for garbage time plays, right? So end of the second half and a couple in the fourth, you know, fourth quarter. And realistically, you want to see a little bit more from Gibbs. But I saw Jared Goff recover from that pick to start the game. Looked fantastic. I saw Hutchinson start to break out. And I think he wound up taking about two sacks in Jordan Love, or one or two, um, which was fantastic to see. And um, Amon Ra, the wheels never stop turning, do they? No, they don't. And Jared Goff, Amon Ra, they've just, they have this great connection. And you know what? I was, this is way off topic and I, I don't want to steer too far off, but is Jared Goff only 28 years old? Is that true? I feel like I heard that the other day on a podcast on something. And I feel like Jared Goff is, 
like 35. I feel like he's been in the league forever. And when I heard that, I was like, the Lions can extend this guy and they can have him, if they could have him play at this level for another six, eight, 10 years, I mean, it seems it just it seems to me like he's been in the league for so long. Maybe because at the beginning of his career he you know went to a Super Bowl and played so good. So then he gets traded to the Lions. So it feels like maybe he's thirty five already. But to be able to have him for the future, the way he's been playing the last you know the last couple of weeks, even last season, that's all I got to say. But I just was so stunned because I felt like he's so much older than that. Tyler, he's six touchdowns to three interceptions. On those three interceptions that he's taken throughout the season across three separate games that he has thrown an interception, in each of those games, he's went back and scored at least two touchdowns following that to lead him to six touchdowns. So every time he's been shown adversity or a scenario in which he needs to handle himself with no interceptions, including passing, sure, he throws a pick, but he rebounds. He's a rebounder, and, and he's just so good at that. The, the pick starting the game was deflated. Yes, it was. There's no question about it. But to hold those guys to three points on the first drive and score 24 points consecutively says enough about what I need to see out of this team. They are totally apt at play level. Every aspect of the game that I, I, I needed to see from them in this game, it was very much uh, you know a work trip to Lambeau and get it done. Get in and get out. Leave no room for these guys to breathe. And they did exactly that. And so... I walked you know, away from our conversation last time saying, I think this will be a three-point game. I could not have been more wrong. That was totally off-base. They wound up getting out of there with two touchdowns as a win. So, I, wow. Like, wow. Like, wow. I, I've never felt so on top of the world right now. The last time we've led this division, it's, and it's in and of itself, was 2016, and we still didn't walk away with it. Minnesota took it from us then. Yeah, and this division feels, like we said, between the Packers and the Lions, Minnesota doesn't look great at all, and Chicago, we'll get into that later, they look like an absolute mess. The game starts off, like you said, with an interception, and then it feels like, oh no, how are we going to respond? Immediately stop them. I think it was Hutchinson gets that sack on third down, and they kick a field goal, and it's like, this is good, this is good. And then... From there, the Lions just get it rolling. Amon Ross scores his touchdown, and then they play the brand of football that I think that we're looking for them to play. We expect them to play, and we want them to play, which is just hard nose, run it down the middle, and we're stronger, we're more physical, we want it more, and we just want to move bodies. David Montgomery, 32 carries. Like you said, he played he played really good. The thing that, like, he has all these carries, he goes for 121 yards. He only averages 3.8 yards a carry, which really isn't that much so i'm kind of confused like i feel like a lot of the runs weren't big runs for the most part they were short runs but i mean they were just wearing them out and just kept with it and i think that that's the brand of football that we expect we're not expecting you know 20 yard runs right off the bat but i mean like you said jameer gibbs when are we going to get him involved a little bit more i believe david montgomery was coming in and he was injured he had just come off an injury he was a little bit banged up and then to only give Jameer Gibbs eight carries, a little surprising because I think we just want to see what we're getting out of Jameer Gibbs. First round pick, very high prospect, great agility, great footwork, so many good things to say about him. I was just a little surprised he didn't get more touches here. Yeah, same with myself. Um, but this is one last sentiment, really. Um, cannot attest enough to how wrong I was on the whole Jerry Jacobs thing. 
Um, I was just thinking that that was that was what I wanted to go to next. Yeah, wow, could not have been more wrong. Two picks, and they were both pivotal plays to help seal the win. So, wow, I, I owe Jerry Jacobs my apologies and respect. I mean, geez, that was a showing, huh? Sutton looked like the man. He he locked Romeo Dobbs down, and despite having some yards on on Dobbs, yeah, for sure he was going to go off because he's wide receiver one, right? I think we've kind of settled him in as wide receiver one in Green Bay, um, or at least he's showing that way. And and um, my last testament has to go to Sam Laporta. Again, he just continues to improve game after game. They continue to give him more touches. There were one or two attempts uh, on a pass to him where he dropped the ball or it was too wide and he couldn't outreach, you know, his, his extend his arm to reach it. So you can't fault him for those, but, but man, he continues to look more and more, like Iowa elite level tight end as each game goes on. So again, resounding victory could not be happier. And and I think the fan base is very happy going into this week five matchup, knowing that we probably have a pretty easy win against the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, let's hope so because they have not looked good. Give the people the breakdown because I can't remember exactly what it was with Jerry Jacobs because after his first interception, the play before that, was it a big pass interference call on him or did he let up a big reception and then he made that like goal line pick? What what happened there? So it was I can't a big quite reception. Um, I don't I don't believe it was one of the not one of the one of the more controversial plays. Yeah, nothing looked like it deviated from course this week. So it was great to see. Yeah, good a good performance from the offense. And like really my final thought here is we were texting during the game, like you said, and I texted you that it was kind of a boring game because it's a 14-point it's a game, which is a pretty big margin, but it really just felt like it was more because the way that the Lions' defense was able to just shut the Packers' offense down felt like the Packers weren't really able to get anything going the whole time. If you look at Aaron Jones' stats, five carries, 18 yards. A.J. Dillon, five carries, 11 yards. They shut down the run game. And they just really limited what Jordan Love was able to do. Two interceptions, like you said. So five sacks total for the Lions defense. They were just flying around. And it felt like because they weren't able to, because the Packers weren't able to get anything going on offense. I mean, it just felt so boring because the Lions just dominated, which is a great thing. And kind of what we expected them to do coming into the season with all this hype and these high expectations. And I think that they really Proved it on Thursday night in front of a big crowd. Two Thursday night games within the first four weeks. Next up, the first game from the Sunday slate was a 9.30 kickoff. Kickoff to the NFL's international series, the Falcons at the Jaguars. The Jaguars basically making these international games home games for them as they play at least one every year. They have two this year. This game was also in Toy Story mode, Sunday fun day. Really interesting to watch. I thought. Overall, it was pretty cool. At first, some technical difficulties. How much of the Sunday Fun Day Toy Story animation did you watch this game? And what did you think about it? So I, I really didn't get a chance to watch much of it, if if any. Gosh, I would that's see too some, bad. I know. I, I would see some on like my my Twitter feed or my Instagram feed just of, of the broadcast itself and how much of a cool thing it was. Like Lawrence throwing a, a complete dot. I they showed it in like the Toy Story thing. That was that was a cool little element, obviously for just for for kids to follow football if they genuinely like that style and setup of, of just fun cartoony football. 
Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it's a totally, um, totally cool thing that they're trying to do and promote to youth football. And it's a fun thing. It's a fun angle. But I mean, I personally probably won't watch much of that outside of the Nick Wynn slime zone. That is like the only acceptable route for me to take. Yeah, it sounds like you're a big slime guy, which is okay. I like the Toy Story mode, but there were some technical difficulties with it, which made it a little tough to watch. Like, I believe the first touchdown was thrown to Calvin Ridley, and it looked good up until the ball got to Calvin Ridley, and then it looked like he dropped it, but then it was a touchdown. Um, some of the some of the clips that they posted on like Twitter, Instagram, whatever, looked really nice though. Like in real time too, the Bijan run that he juked the first guy and went for seven, eight yards. That one looked really good. Trevor Lawrence's scramble looked really nice as well. So there were some plays in there that did really good. I think it's a tall task with the technology, but if they could continue to improve, I mean, I think that they got a great start. But into the game, the Jags won this twenty-three to seven. I feel like there's. A lot of times these international games turn into blowouts and they're not competitive tight games like the crowd would want to see. The crowd doesn't get to see many of these games and most of the time they turn out to be not that great. Falcons just weren't able to get it done. Jags stay for a second week. Thoughts here. Falcons drop two in a row. After starting off 2-0, and the Jags kind of get it rolling here a little bit, get Calvin Ridley back involved. What are your thoughts here? Well, it was it was kind of in due time, right? Uh, a little bit more involvement from more wide receivers, and, and not just Ridley, but it spread across the board for most of the Jags wide receivers, which was a nice touch. Um, I wanted a little bit more production out of ETN in this game, but at least it was suitable enough to get the win. Um, I think this says more about the Falcons than the Jags, to be totally honest with you, though. I agree 100%. But the Falcons are just looking to be – Kind of like frauds after starting off 2-0 and then they play two pretty solid teams and then they drop both of those games. Now they're down to 2-2 and that division down there with the Falcons, Saints, Panthers, and and Bucks is just kind of looking to be all over the place. The Bucks probably looking the best out of the teams so far, but it's a wide open division and it looks like it's just going to continue to get messy. The Falcons have so many pieces. At this point, what do you think? Trade Kyle Pitts? I mean, they're not using him, right? Okay, I, if you want my personal honest opinion, it's it's a tough one to hear for some Falcon fans, but I, I think they are kind of starting to realize this problem too. Um, and I think that problem happens to be at, at, at QB1. I don't think Ritter is ready to make this step. I don't think he he's, he's totally there yet. I think he still needs time to develop, and I think that Taylor Heineke is the better starter. That's interesting you say that because I didn't even know who their backup was. And then my girlfriend's brother was texting me during this game. And Alex said they should put in Heineke. And he's a Commanders fan, so he's very familiar with Taylor Heineke. And I didn't even realize that was the backup. And if you remember, when Heineke was in Washington, he was able to rally the team behind him because he's a hard worker. He will put his body on the line every play. The team just loves him. And I just think that that's important when it comes to a quarterback. It's like the Zach Wilson situation. Like, if the team's not behind you, they're not going to play as good as they could. Maybe maybe give Taylor Heineke a chance because, obviously, you're right. This Desmond Ritter thing is not working, and maybe that's, like, why Kyle Pitts hasn't broken to be the superstar that we expected him to be. It's tough to say. They have a lot of weapons on offense, and they're just not able to get it done. So maybe if they could get somebody in there that could do a better job, I don't know. 
Yeah, I, I just don't think they're they're passing enough. And when the passes are are given to 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 Ritter, it's just not good enough. It, it, he's I don't think he's NFL ready, and that's not a problem. But but you you sit and learn behind somebody if you're not ready, right? You're you're supposed to take in things and and understand the experience of being an NFL quarterback. And maybe that time will come with just him getting more snaps. But I I don't see the need to keep him in right now if you know he's not totally there yet so it's not a slight at him it's it's not supposed to say well you're you're awful and you can't develop further no it's that's far from the truth I just think if you if you shadow someone who's a genuine quarterback one you tend to pick up things and learn things right and maybe he is getting that in practice and we just don't understand it and maybe there's no connection with him and, and Heineke at all besides they're both quarterbacks and they're both trying to fight to be starters in Atlanta maybe that's it yeah but but either way, the pen, you know, the pendulum swings. It's just not cutting it right now for for a starting quarterback at this level. And again, it is not a slight at him. It's just saying I don't think he's ready to to be to do this full time. No, I agree. He threw for one ninety one. Trevor Lawrence only threw for two oh seven. So not a big difference there. The biggest difference is Ritter threw two interceptions, and that ended up being a massive difference in the game. Bijan goes for over hundred yards as we expect him to. Again, just. Kind of a boring game that started off slow, kind of continued slow, but the Jags put up 23 points in the Jags defense. Did the Jags defense play good or is Ritter just not good? I I don't know. He's ranked quarterback 34th of 34 on PFF. That's not what you want out of your starting quarterback, and that's not gonna it's not gonna get the job done. The next game up was actually a really good game. The Rams at the Colts. This game ends up going into overtime. The Rams take this one. The big story. As it has been the last couple weeks, Puka Nakua, what a game. He had nine receptions, 163 yards, and a game-winning touchdown. You see that one-handed catch he had over the middle of the field. I mean, he is just doing it all. And like we said before, once Cooper Cup gets back in this, back in this lineup, I don't know how you're going to be able to stop this team. Matt Stafford playing amazing, 319 yards with a touchdown. This team is just, I mean, Kyron Williams, over 100 yards, two touchdowns. This team is just doing something. Interesting game, though, as the Rams just kind of run away with this one. 20 to nothing after the first half. And then the Colts just charge their way back, force it into overtime. What are your thoughts here? I mean, the Rams improved to 2-2. Two and two. Colts now sitting at two and two. The Colts had a chance to come back, but a really slow start in the first half. It's a true testament to to how good the the Rams are trying to be this season. They're trying to be a contender, and and they're sitting at five hundred for for good reason. Stafford is is genuinely finding that form, and and it's and it's kind of a shock, really. The, the shock value of how much we went from last year was just so dire and so just just crumbling and upsetting for Rams fans to, Oh my gosh, we found a complete steel gem in the draft and, and, and a seventh rounder turns out to be our, our, our stud wide receiver one as of our, our superstar wide receiver is still injured and, and is looking to come back as soon as he can. So here's the, here's the real issue I have right now with them. However, if they want to be for real, they have to blow out this Colts team. It should not be an overtime game. They got away with the win. They got away with it. Did not look look super convincing, but they got it done. 
this tight end, Andrew Ogletree, for, for the Colts, is playing really well. He's having a good season so far, and, and he's a bit of a shock and surprise to us um, because he came out of nowhere. He's like a Youngstown State alum or something, a six-round draft pick in 2022. He's having a crazy, crazy, crazy season for himself. Um, but with no Jonathan Taylor and no real weapons, it's honestly commendable how how much of an emphasis of hard work the Colts are, are actually placing in their on their squadron right now because they have no weapons to boot. No real weapons. I agree. I really didn't even expect the Colts to be two and two at this point. They got a rookie quarterback who had a concussion and they had an awful team last year. I mean, they're almost I feel like they're almost asking Anthony Richardson to do what the Giants asked Daniel Jones to do, which is everything. There's no weapons, but then Daniel Jones needs to rip off like 65 yards, 75 yards for the Giants to be in the game. Anthony Richardson goes for 56 yards on the ground with a touchdown. He throws for two touchdowns, so he's doing everything he can out there. But you're right. When you look at the weapons, Zach Moss, 70 yards on 18 carries. Their tight end is their leading receiver. I mean, every everybody else has only one or two receptions, so there's not really that guy there. Pittman, one catch for 15 yards, so they don't really have that you know, number one star receiver, but the defense is playing pretty well overall. Not great, but much better than what we saw last season. No much. And Richardson only, you know, can only work with what he actually has to work with, right? He yeah. has no, no real, with no Jonathan Taylor, it's almost like there's no running back who can really catch. I mean, you can try to the best of your ability with what you have with guys like Jake Funk, Zach Moss, you know, that doesn't do you a hell of a lot. So, when you can't really receive the ball much either, it's not the greatest thing. So, listen, it, it's kind of the the it's the better of two evils, right? It's like who can you trust, you know, right now amongst Zach Moss and and, and Jake Funk and Evan Hall, and and there's just not a lot going around with that. So, you can't blame Richardson. You can't blame Minshew. It's a little bit hard to to you know to, to keep them afloat. There, you know what? The craziest thing about amongst all of this is that they're a two and two football team. Yeah. They're still 500. They're, they're still not out of their division as it stands. So nothing really feels like it, it really has this, this click, this appetite, this appeal. But they're not really in, in like the worst of positions. No, they're not in the worst of positions. They're two and two. And one of the biggest things coming out of this game, obviously, you know, they had some guys play good. But Jonathan Taylor officially comes off the PUP list. Supposed to practice on Wednesday? Is he just going to walk in there like nothing happened and everything's all good? Is he going to play this weekend, which he could? I mean, if he does, that's a big boost to this Colts team that, like you said, is 500 and exceeding my expectations. I think that, you know, it might take him a little while to get going, but Jonathan Taylor, obviously a number one running back, has played really, really well when healthy. So we'll see what happens with that. Any, uh, you got any quick thoughts on this JT situation? Well, I, I don't know how we turned a corner into we're kind of back in the positives with the Colts now, which is weird. Um, Not to be expected. Right. So it felt like we were doing OK now. I, I don't know. I don't know what happened or, or how the tides turned or his agent said, play nice guy until you can you can get out of here. I don't know what what is really going on, but something's clearly up to where. Why do we have the, the page flip now? It's got this weird, weird bite and this weird feel to it. So 
Hopefully that means he'll get out and start because we're missing a league contending running back. And let's be honest, when you miss time as a running back or at any position play level in the NFL, you know for a fact that you're not returning to form right then, right now. Yeah, it's going to take him a little bit of time to get going. And don't rush him back because if he is willing to play, then you need him out there. Cream Hunt didn't play at all. Came in like two or three weeks late to replace Nick Chubb. Got banged up pretty good after the first game. He was he had that groin injury all week. J.K. Dobbins sits out basically the entire offseason. Practices for two or three weeks. Comes in and unfortunately season-ending injury again. So take your time with him because you're not in a bad spot right now. 500 after two weeks. So just you know ease him into this and get him going to what we expect him to do. Next up from the 1 o'clock slate, the Ravens travel to Cleveland to play the Browns in a game that I was excited for but also very nervous. The Ravens win, though, 28-3 in a dominating performance. Second quarter, Lamar goes to hand the ball off to Justice Hill. It's a bad handoff. He almost tosses it to him. Justice Hill never gets a good hold of it, and it feels like deja vu. The Ravens fumble the ball. They don't recover, and it feels like we're going to see what we saw last week, which was... Ultimately, the reason that we lost to the Colts was all the fumbles by Lamar. This is not the case, though. The Ravens' defense played stellar. I know that they were going against a backup, which Deshaun didn't play, which is very interesting. He was cleared to play, decided that he wasn't able to go. DTR gets a start, which we talked about him in the preseason. He had a great preseason. He played really good. He just wasn't able to get anything going. The Ravens' defense has three interceptions. Kyle Hamilton gets his first. Geno Stone gets another. Brandon Stevens gets his first, almost took it to the house, but that first interception from Brandon Stevens, the offense couldn't really get going. The Browns defense, obviously one of the best in the league. They are supposed to be the best in the league, and how do you decide which defense is the best in the league? Is it points per game, yards per game? Like How, how is that decision made? That's something that I've been thinking about recently when you're talking about the best defense in the league. Is it just like a feel thing? or like How do you determine it with all these different stats? Because one team might have the least points per game, and then one team might have the least yards per game, most turnovers. Like, how is that decided? I'm going to say points per game that that the defense actually scores in a single game. So whether that be interceptions, uh, most amount of tackles, I'd say um, just the sheer number of defensive plays that a team makes in the game probably warrants that. So if we had to look right now, I'd still say the Cowboys are probably the best defense in the NFL just off of sheer tackles, off of sheer interceptions, off of sheer um, overall defensive play. So I wouldn't contribute it necessarily to individuals, more so the defensive group like the fantasy football has, right? So you're going off how a specific team's defense plays uh, via those sacks, via those interceptions, via those massive tackles um, for losses. So so that that's what I would market at least. So if we're looking at the Ravens more specifically in this game, I, I love the play level of Roquan Smith. I still believe he, in my opinion, is, is the best linebacker in the entire NFL. And I hold true to that. I think Bobby Wagner's close in play level, but he's just not on the level Roquan's at right now. There is no question in my mind that he has probably at least the most covers in the NFL, which is no surprise at all. He's got to be close, again, uh, to most tackles, if, he not, if not the most tackles in the NFL. And... and if we're talking about an individual sole play on defense, he is like the epitome uh, of being an elite level linebacker. Yeah. The way that he just brings the whole team together 
I saw a quote from Jadavion Clowney the other week, and he's played on some great defenses before. He played with J.J. Watt. He played in Cleveland with Miles Garrett. And he said, basically, he's, he's never played with anybody else that has the same intensity and is able to bring the team together like Roquan Smith does. I mean, he's just a stud. We could pay him all the money. I mean, he deserves everything he got. I'm so glad that he's a part of the team. And then on the Roquan topic, I asked this defensive question because Roquan was asked a question before the game and talking about how the Browns have the number one defense in the league. And he said, basically, it's week three. We're not crowning anybody yet. And they took that as bulletin board material. So I went ahead and looked up some defensive stats. After the game, Ravens defense is allowing 14.5 points per game, which is good for third. Browns defense is allowing 15 points per game, which is good for fifth in the NFL. Ravens beat him there, but then the Browns have the edge in yards per game. Browns letting up under 200 yards, and the Ravens are good for third, letting up 260 yards per game. Ravens really just shut him down all over the place. I know that they're playing a rookie quarterback. DTR went 19-36 for 121 yards. Those three interceptions are massive. Jerome Ford, nine carries, 26 yards. Kareem Hunt couldn't get anything going. Their biggest run was a 40-yarder by Pierre Strong, and after that, he only had nine other yards. Totaled 49 yards. I think that the Ravens defense was just able to shut them down. When you're looking out there on the field, to me, the Ravens defense looked like the better team and we're missing pieces. The argument here could be Deshaun Watson didn't play. You're playing against a rookie quarterback, but at the same time, Ravens can give you a laundry list of all the players that didn't play. They do get Tyler Linderbaum back on offense, though, which is a guy that we've talked about a lot. His return was absolutely massive playing against this great front that the Browns defense had. He returns from injury, 26 pass blocking snaps. He allowed one pressure and zero sacks the entire time. Absolute stud on offense. The Ravens without OBJ, without Rashad Bateman, without Ronnie Stanley, playing against Miles Garrett. I was really impressed with the performance overall, and it was kind of like the Lions game. It was almost boring because we were just dominating on defense. They couldn't get anything going, and the offense putting up 28 points against supposedly the best defense in the league was a lot of fun to watch. Well, Moses Linderbaum and Merkari uh, did their job fantastically, and they all did it well. Um, if, if I look at PFF specifically, Morgan Moses with an 80% grade on run block, Linderbaum with a 71% grade, and Mercari with a 65% grade. So those, those are all very, very, very strong plays for, for a tackle in a specific game and good ratings for, for an offensive line that's pretty much been been – Slow, slowed up by the, the absence of Linderbaum. And with him back, they, they finally get some stride and some sync. And, and not getting to uh, Lamar a bunch is exactly what you want to see out of your line, right? No, you know, with no pressure on Goff, he just looks like he's a, he's a natural. He, look, he looks like he can stay in the pocket and function. And, and if we saw more of that with Lamar, whether it be on, on QB runs or whether it be on passing plays that Lamar makes – it just strengthens your offense regardless of how bad, good, and different your quarterback is. Your quarterback can be, as we just referenced, Desmond Ritter. But if he has a good pocket protecting him, maybe we're saying a different story about how good Desmond Ritter can be. And I'm just citing one example randomly. I'm not just talking about any other because we were just talking about him. But that goes for any quarterback in this league, right? The, the better the offensive line play, the better the quarterback can be. I still think, to this day, a testament to why Aaron Rodgers was so good is because his offensive lines – have helped him pretty much throughout his whole Packer career, right? And so one time, he doesn't have the greatest offensive line with the Jets, and he goes down and gets hurt. And that's not what you want to see out of your team at all. So it's a testament how well the Ravens played uh, on tackle. Um, 
another player who who we finally found is is a dime in the rough uh, out of the draft you guys just had. Zay Flowers looks like the man. Zay Flowers Zay Flowers looks awesome. Um, we're finally seeing some more Mark Andrews action, which is great to see. You want to see some more end zone action with him, so you got exactly that. We've been waiting for that. It feels like. Oh, absolutely. Um, I thought that that Melvin Gordon did not look bad at all, and Gus Edwards looked great. So, no, Melvin Gordon. What in the world? Melvin Gordon logged one of his plays, ran over twenty miles per hour, which was he was the fastest. That was the fastest Ravens play, and. For me to see that, that that went to Melvin Gordon, I was shocked. Melvin Gordon had a catch for 23 yards, a beautiful throw by Lamar, and Melvin Gordon just makes a play. Melvin Gordon had three runs for 21 yards. I'm not going to say give, give Melvin Gordon more touches, but the touches that he had were fantastic. And last season, you brought up Mark Andrews. Last season, the season before, the season before, Greg Roman, it was about the tight ends and it was about the running backs, and he always got Mark Andrews involved. Todd Munkin has had a little trouble so far getting Mark Andrews involved. Maybe that's due to the injury that Mark Andrews, that kept Mark Andrews out of week one. I'm not 100% sure, but he had a day. Five receptions for 80 yards, two touchdowns. His first touchdown at the end of the second half, there's about 11 seconds left on the clock. The Ravens are within the 10-yard line. Mark Andrews in the back of the end zone. Lamar throws an absolute dot in the back corner over three defenders. Mark Andrews just mosses all of them. Makes a catch. Ravens go up 21 to three. And I mean, that's how you cap off a first half playing against supposedly the best defense in the league. We made them look like they were not and felt like whatever Lamar wanted to do, he was able to do. I will say that Patrick McCarry stepping in for Ronnie Stanley played all right. There were some times where I felt like Miles Garrett was getting past him without Patrick even putting a hand on him. And Morgan Moses played really well. He's played well all season. And unfortunately, he went out with an injury that could keep him out for a little while, maybe hopefully not the whole season, but the Ravens are starting to get healthier with Tyler Linderbaum coming back. Hopefully Marcus Williams, Marlon Humphrey, Keaton Mitchell, the running back, uh, Tyus Bowser. I feel like the list goes on and on. Hopefully some of those guys come back soon. Crazy to think that we could put up 28 against this team, hold them to three with all these guys out. Great game for the Ravens. Love to see them get to 2-0. In the division, both road games, they travel to Pittsburgh next week, which will be a good test. Next up, the Vikings at the Panthers. Vikings take this one 23-13 to get their first win of the season, while the Panthers fall to 0-4. Seemed like the Vikings were trying to give this one away, but they ended up squeaking out a win. Good to get their first win. I think that they're optimistic that they could still make a run. They have some great pieces on offense. Obviously, the offense has been playing good. Maybe one of their worst offensive performances so far but they squeak out a win here at the Panthers. Yeah, surprising one. They've been slow, man. They've been very slow. Um, the receiving yards would not tell you as much because they're still catching the ball just fine. Justin Jefferson is still playing as the um, top five, one of the top five wide receivers in the NFL right now as it stands. Um, and Josh Oliver, oh my gosh, he's been a great tight end so far. I'm, I've been very surprised at his production as well as, uh, as well as just the hot hand that TJ Hawkinson rides. Um, Josh Oliver played his best game, I think, uh, on tight end. He's he's probably really ever had. So good good on him. Uh, Hawk looked like he was he was just trying to ball out as much as he could with what he had. Um, we saw a little bit of Cam Akers, which was interesting to see. So I think we got what how many like forty odd yards out of Cam Akers. So at least you got to see some production of the new guy they just acquired. Um, 
But I, I, I think where where we fall in line with, with the Vikings winning, I think it had a lot to do with the play level of Justin Jefferson carrying that game. And, and a lot of that stems from how good he individually played. It, it, it had a little bit to do with how good and, and in sync for a good minute there he and Kirk were. Um, Kirk tried to run a couple times. That did not work out too well for him. I'll end up losing in the negatives, I believe, um, which was no no good. Um, but I'd say the safety play, uh, as in their defensive safety play, and, and the linebacker play of Minnesota just outplayed Carolina. And a lot of that came on the back of, of just a good defensive showing from them. And I think that overall it's a testament to how much they're trying to rebuild that defense from basically from scratch. You start 3-0. Anytime that happens, you pretty much have to reset, right? This is a reset game. It was a get-right game for them. And and Carolina, I, I hate to pose this to them. It, it might be time to completely just throw in the towel and, and start building around the draft. I, I They're 0-4. They're, they're, the depth is just really kind of gone out the window. Um, when you're throwing more with, with Andy Dalton than you are Bryce Young, it's a, it's a tough testament to – how challenging this has been so far for Bryce Young. I mean, he he's he he has one of the worst QB rankings of a rookie that we've seen in a long while. We're already seeing that CJ Stroud looks better than him, which is crazy. And overall, I, I just <clears throat> Thielen played out of his mind as a revenge game. No question about it. He was supposed to. That was supposed to happen. But man, that that offensive line is rough. And and they can't seem to catch a break in the running game either. They can't give Miles uh Sanders a hole. They can't give him any place to run. Same thing with Hubbard, and it's just a tough look. And they're not, they're not ready to, to take the next step just because of one draft pick. It's clearly not working out that way. Agreed. Bryce Young, unfortunately, is looking like the worst first-round pick from this year's draft. C.J. Stroud playing amazing. I'm excited to talk about him. Anthony Richardson doing his thing, playing really well. They're 2-2. Two and two. But Bryce Young isn't getting any help. Like you said, they had 83 total rushing yards compared to 135 for the Vikings. They had 24 more plays on offense. They had 17 more minutes with the ball compared to the Vikings. So they had their chance. They controlled this game with the ball. They had more plays, but they also allowed five sacks. Bryce Young just isn't able to get comfortable out there. You can tell he's still trying to figure it out, and I do believe that he will. It took Trevor Lawrence a minute, and Trevor Lawrence has been really well since he got going. I think that it's just a matter of time for Bryce Young, but nobody's really helping him out. He doesn't have that number one guy. Running game's not helping him out much, so I think a little bit of time might help, but obviously this is not the season for the Panthers. And I, I, I think that the Panthers expected to be a little bit better than this. They made some moves in the offseason with Thielen and Shark, Sanders, and they're just not able to get anything done here. Next up, the Bengals at the Titans. The Titans take this one commanding win, basically a blowout, 27-3. to What are the Bengals doing? Joe Burrow can't get it going. I saw this post on Twitter from NFL Rookie Watch. Joe Burrow, since being the highest paid player in the league, give you some stats here. Lower passer rating than Zach Wilson and the guy that we've been talking about all day, Desmond Ritter. Less passing yards than Josh Dobbs and Justin Fields. Lower completion percentage than every quarterback besides Jordan Love and Anthony Richardson. The least amount of passing touchdowns of any starting QB. Off to a absolutely awful start they've started off bad in seasons prior and then joey b gets it going and gets this team going gets them into the playoffs they win the north this season just feels different he's not healthy you can see him on the sideline rubbing his elbow look like so not only the calf maybe he's got an elbow injury now 
three points against the Titans, which the Titans are a sneaky good team. They're coached well. They got a couple really good pieces. DeAndre Hopkins there, obviously. But how do you only put up three points against the Titans and you fall to one and three? This is not the start that that anybody expected for the Bengals. Is it hard to label it that he just shouldn't have started in the first couple weeks? He should have just waited a week or two to get started. Uh, listen, I, I don't want to pile on to what's already been a very, very rough start of the season, and no one understands that more than himself. There's no question about it. But, <clears throat> I mean, listen, it can be awful, and you might be in the hole 0-2, but get yourself healthy and let A.J. McCarron or Jake Browning take some touches. I, I, you know, I, I don't want to label it as it's all on the the – you know, the start of the season injury, which looked like he wasn't really going to start. And then it's like, oh, well, we rushed it into to playing. I think it plays a role in that. Um, I also don't want to completely label it on him because Joe Mixon does not look like he's running the same way he has in prior seasons. Nothing just seems like it's clicking for him. And I think we're starting to understand that while that line has some improvements, it's still not good. They're still getting too many pressures in them. And you can't exactly expect them to be the, the best version of themselves when their center seems to be the only one trying to to play, you know, play an offensive tackle role in Ted Karras, and even he can't carry the team on his own right. So at least in this game, I, I was not at all pleased with what happened um, on their offensive line. It's not all on them, but I think it's more of a testament to how much Tennessee is starting to kind of step their game level up. Um, I, I'm seeing more and more as time goes on. Um, a Derrick Henry that we're so, so actually used to. He looks like himself. He's trying to find that form again, and he's finding it in stride. I still think he's among the top five rushers in the NFL, and nobody seems to be talking about him or that team. I think they're slowly going to rise up if he keeps this play level as it was, especially in this game specifically. Um, I saw DeAndre Hopkins ball out for the first time in a while. That was a ball out game, so Almost kind of a good thing to see, right? You kind of want him to get back to his his full um, NFL potential. So there, there's that. Um, and I'm seeing a lot more in involvement with Tannehill again into the into the game plan. I don't think that that Tannehill is the make or break of that team, but but getting him more touches is definitely more helpful. And when you can at least scheme around your quarterback just to keep him in the game a little bit more than Derrick Henry, let's say, um, that's only good for for the receivers. Um, I'm trying to single out one receiver. I, I I really was all for. It's probably Hopkins, and close to that would probably be um, Chris Moore or or Nick Westbrook-Akine. But yeah, no, I I think I think they look like they're strong. But it's also a bit of a testament to how much they're starting to rebuild that defense and how legit it's starting to look again. Yeah, the Titans are coming on. They've played some good games so far. Sitting there at two and two, which we saw this D Hop trade and. We were like, Diop wanted to go to a contender. Why is he going to Tennessee? And now Tennessee's playing better than I expected them to. I think I attribute that to good coaching and Ryan Tannehill limiting the mistakes. Derrick Henry, buck 22 with a touchdown. He was running all over that team. And like you said, where's Joe Mixon? Joe Burrow is hurt. He needs this running game to step up. And Joe Mixon needs to be that guy. He's supposed to be that guy. T. Higgins out with a rib injury. So they're just going through something. The receivers and Joe Burrow aren't clicking. Just seems to be everything going wrong. So you look ahead. Bengals have the Cardinals next week, the Seahawks the week after, and then they're by. Do you sit Joe Burrow for these two weeks? Do you play him through this injury? Are you are you worried about not being able to beat the Cardinals with your backup? I mean, 
If the Bengals can't beat the Cardinals with their backup, what's that say about this team? Seahawks a pretty good team, obviously. Maybe even sit Joe Burrow for one week. I mean, what do you think here? Yeah, if you want my opinion, I, I still think he personally hasn't recovered from that injury he took with his ankle. And, and I don't think that he's really suited or, or set his foot in, in, in being fully healthy. So sitting him for a week, you know, only does you good, right? Because what, what, let's say they do fall to one and four. I think you think about the long term more than you, do, than you do the short term, right? Because your quarterback is hurt and your stud quarterback isn't playing like himself, then, you know, I think it's really a true testament to how good he can he can really function if fully healthy. So if you get into that level, then I, I think you find there's more success to come and, and more more positives to find in that whole scenario. So um, I think it's it's a totally good spin if he gets back to the to the full level, full healthiness, sit him a week, see where it goes. If you fall to one and four, you can definitely come back from that if you if you just stay consistent and, and play at your full health. So I think that's the case, and I'm going to hold true to that um, if they were to sit him out. Um, one name in this game that we didn't really bring up at all, and, and I think his name, if he plays as consistent, I think he'll be one of the best linebackers in the league, and he's looking close to it. Um, a name you have not heard very much and probably will not hear for a good minute because I think that he's the most underrated linebacker in the league, Titans Jack Gibbons. As it stands, he has a defensive grade in PFF of 83.3. That's fifth among linebackers in the entire NFL. Uh, his run defense grade is, is 14th out of 78 possible linebackers in the NFL. And his coverage rate is 74.6, which is eighth among linebackers in the entire NFL. Keep Jack Gibbons as a name in your dossier. There you go, Jack Gibbons. My opinion on sitting or starting Joe Burrow is sitting him is not a bad idea. If you get him fully healthy, that team can definitely go on a run. I have seen how good they can play, and I believe that even 1-5, they're not out of it. But I don't think Joe Burrow wants to sit, and I think that he will do everything he can to play through it, and it just might not be in the best interest of the team, but we will see. Any final thoughts on this game? No, you're good. Next up, we got the Dolphins at the Bills, a divisional matchup where last week the Dolphins put up 70 points, and they were running all over the Broncos now. They face a stout Bills team. Defense and offense is really good there over in Buffalo. 48-20, to 20, the Bills take this one. One of the biggest stories coming out of this game, though, is Tredavious White, torn Achilles, which is a big blow for the Bills' defense, the Bills' secondary. They might be getting Von Miller back soon, but obviously different positions. That's going to be a big loss. We saw what happened when Trayvon Diggs went out next week. The, the Cowboys didn't really know what to do, and they let up a ton of points. They ended up losing to the Cardinals. So big loss, especially when you got a Dolphins team in your division that is just loaded on offense, especially at the wide receiver position. Dolphins lose this game. Now they're 3-1. and one. The Bills are sitting at 3-1 and one as well. Give me your thoughts on this game. Well, it was a down-to-earth moment for, for the Dolphins, for sure. There's no question about it, right? I think every good ride that you have comes to an end when you face a team that's just defensively minded, and that Buffalo Bills team looks a little bit more defensive minded than offensive. But this game would also tell you otherwise, right? Allen and Diggs just connected this entire game. Nothing about that play level looked like it was off. It all was hammering in all cylinders. I do want to highlight a couple players on, on the Finns that looked like they were balling. Devon uh, etching again. Wow. What a game again. I kind of expected him to be like a one-hit wonder with Raheem Mostert back there, and then he just went ahead and did it again. 
No, he did do it again and did it in stride. I mean, I think he walked away with roughly, I'd say, about 75 yards of offense, but then I believe he still punched in a touchdown, if I'm not mistaken. So he looked like he he really at least had something to prove and, and wants to try and at least contend for that running back one. So he's absolutely there, and he looks like he's balling out. Tua, not his greatest showing, not the worst showing ever. However, could have been better, could have been worse. Um just because that offense is is so explosive. Miami's defense had no punch, no counter. I still think Cheetah played fantastic. He seems to be the the one dividing factor. And if his foot hadn't stepped out on one of those reception plays, he would have been gone for a touchdown. So he would have had another touchdown probably on the docket for the day. Um, Jalen Waddle, a little bit of a return to earth as he's coming back and being fully healthy. And he got 95 receiving yards out of the game. So at least some positive there. But this obviously falls all in line with how good. The Bills' offense really showed that they were. And they're 3-1, and one, but having almost the, the least amount of talk in the league I've seen to, to hear with all the, the NFC teams that look like they're power surging right now. So they're swept under the rug. Stefan and Allen connecting really well. Stefan winds up going for 148 with, I believe, it was two or three touchdowns to his name. Uh, and Josh Allen playing fantastic, no question about it. Um, are we ready to admit that James Cook is, is an elite running back? Well, are the Bills going to start running the ball like they have been? In the past seasons, we've seen Josh Allen doing like what I talked about with Daniel Jones. Like, he has to do everything. He's got to run the ball, and he's got to throw the ball, and they're leaning on him to do everything. And then Josh Allen takes these big hits. Now they're running the ball, and he's playing so well. I, I'm so surprised to see this much production out of a Buffalo Bills running back. I feel like we haven't seen this in forever. You, you never want a Buffalo Bills running back on your fantasy team. This season, not a bad idea. Nope, and him and Latavius Murray have kind of been been at least on on similar levels, right? They're not they're producing pretty well. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say Murray is better compared to Cook, although some would disagree. Um, I, I still think that he he's among the league's best, and I believe that that he is he's really trying to carry the workload at running back in that that team. Overall, I don't think the Dolphins are going anywhere. I looked up a couple stats. When you look at the NFL. And you know how they have the stats, the fastest ball carriers of the week. Across the whole NFL, the Dolphins had the top five fastest ball carriers with Devon Achen, however you say it, at one, Tyreek at two, Mostert at three, Tyreek again at four, and Devon Achen again at five, which is just crazy. I don't think this offense is going anywhere. 20 points, a little surprising. The game started off bang, 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 touchdown, touchdown. Like Both offenses were rolling. Maybe a good thing for the Dolphins to lose here, kind of to come back to earth a little bit, maybe reset and realize you're not going to put up 70 points and blow out teams every week. But then when you look at the Bills this offseason, not a lot of talk about them, which is surprising because the last couple offseasons, everybody's talking about how good the Bills are going to be. The Bills are going to go to the Super Bowl. And maybe this is the best possible situation for the Bills. They lose week one to the Jets when they should have won as Aaron Rodgers didn't finish the game. He played four plays, obviously. And then... The last three weeks, they've been on a tear, just blowing teams out, and they've kind of gotten going a little bit. And I would be scared playing against this Bills team because they seem to be hitting on all strides. The key is, though, not to hit your peak too early. So hopefully the Bills can just continue to build off this. Any final thoughts for this game? Next up, we got the Broncos at the Bears. This was absolutely an awful game. The Bears get out to a big lead against the Broncos, who have both are looking for their first win. In the second quarter, Justin Fields was 12 for 12, 
a perfect passer rating, and three touchdowns. He was playing the best game he's ever played, probably. By the end of the game, he threw for 355 yards, which was the most of any quarterback in week four. He looked like what we were expecting him to this season. And then real interesting, I want to get your thoughts on this. The Bears at home looking for their first win of the season. The game's coming down. The clock's winding down. The Bears have a chance to kick a field goal and go up by three points. They decide to go for it, and they do not convert. The Broncos get the ball, take the ball down the field, kick a field goal, and win the game. Should the Bears have kicked this field goal and then given the Broncos a chance to come down and said, hey, the Broncos score, we did all we could. And the talk of the week, I think, is Justin Fields played a great game. He did what he could. He's got his team in field goal range, and you know the defense just couldn't come up with it. Or do you believe in go for it on fourth down, roll the dice, try to close out the game? Yeah, I, I'm such a Dan Campbellized person that I, I, I say go for it um, because he basically gave up that game doing that field, taking that field goal attempt, right? I, I just listen. Both of these teams deserve to lose, but but Justin Fields looked like he deserved to lose less, and he came out in the losing end, right? It's it just happens, right? When you when you make a decision you feel like is is the most convincing decision, and it's overturned and overruled. You look like a dunce, and I hate to say it, but but the Broncos did not deserve to win that game either. It, it was an equal equal level of, of suckage, and and the Broncos just happened to suck less. Um, I would not say that one team convinced me that they're a contender amongst these two teams, and they weren't supposed to. This is absolutely tank bowl type deal. You know, I did I did not hate Cortland Sutton's play level. Um, same thing goes with Jerry Judy. I thought the wide receivers themselves did not look bad. Um, Marvin Mims as well. He he stepped in a little bit too, and that was good to see. So I, I don't feel like the, the Broncos completely deserved this game. I, I think that Will Lutz wound up just absolutely getting this game done with with a with a bang up field goal. And while he hasn't had the greatest season so far with the Broncos, he's at least getting some some touches that are helping the team win. Um, so, uh, I also think there's a little bit to be said as a testament to Javante Williams playing well, Samaj P. Ryan playing well as a one, two. Um, so yeah, I think offensively the, the Broncos didn't look better, but they wound up coming out with the win. Yeah. I mean, two worst teams in the NFL play and it's kind of a double loss for the bears. Justin Fields plays his best game of the season, one of his best games ever, and they still can't get a win against the Broncos. I mean, that's just it. You finally get a good game out of the offense. Justin Fields does what you want him to do, and you still can't get a win. But some interesting news for you, some interesting news around the league. I don't think anybody's really surprised. Chase Claypool, ready. They're ready to trade him. He was inactive this week, and rumors are he could be a depth piece for some quality contenders, including the Chiefs, Eagles, and your Lions. How would you feel? If your Lions traded for Chase Claypool, uh, it wouldn't feel necessary, right? We're just we're just now getting JMO back. We finally got Amon Ra, pretty much at least the franchise level we want him to be at. Um, Marvin Jones is getting a little bit more action. Josh Reynolds looks fantastic. I I don't see the need personally to add another another guy to that room who's just not going to get a bunch of touches. I say save the draft capital, save the player capital. Um, unless there, unless there's a deal that needs to be made um, where a player just isn't playing well enough, and you can find a way to get them out with a with a small draft pick for Claypool, 
that would make sense. But yeah, I, I say don't rock the boat with what you got right now. Yeah, I agree. I'd be surprised. I I don't even know if he's worth a six round pick at this point, which is unfortunate because he had a lot of hype coming out of college and got it done a little bit with the Steelers, ended up falling off. They traded him. Second round pick is what I believe the Bears gave up for him, and it's just been a total bust. Next game, we got the Commanders at the Eagles. What a game this was. Went into overtime. The Eagles end up pulling this one out 34-31. to The Commanders are not frauds. The Commanders are for real. Sam Howell looks amazing. He takes his team down. They need a touchdown, not even a field goal. They need a touchdown to tie this game up with under two minutes left. He does it. He takes his team down. They score a touchdown with two seconds left. Interesting call. They had 11 seconds left, eight seconds left on the clock, something like that, and they throw the ball in the middle of the field right about the two-yard line. Luckily, it was incomplete, and there were two seconds left on the clock. The next play, they go to Jahan Dotson. He catches it. Touchdown. Do, should they have gone for two and tried to steal a win, which is what I've been hearing from the Eagles, no. or kick the extra point? I believe that they made the right choice in kicking the extra point, but what do you feel? No, don't take the kick. No. I'm sorry, don't, don't take the two-point. No, 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 no. No, I, 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 my immediate reaction is always to sports overtime, right? You may lose the coin toss, but you have to play your best defensive snaps in overtime. So that's, that's my feeling. I have some qualms with the overtime setup as it is currently. I still, and I, I say still like I've already brought it up, I believe that the NFL, in my own personal opinion, and lame theory should go towards the college setup where you're set, uh, you're given a set of downs at the 30 or 40 and you just go for it back and forth. And whoever takes it in the shootout wins, but you know what? That's a different problem for a different time. I say, take the, take the kick force overtime always. And, and you can't blame the commanders for that, right? They should, they have capitalized in overtime. Absolutely. doesn't matter. No, it's, it, it is what it is. Take the loss. You're two and two. So what division rival one, you're still at 500. It, it's not like you're out of the woods by any stretch. Um, Sam Howell really trying to play his best version of football, but that team sometimes on, on the receiving end, just someone just needs to step up and be the number one, right? That That's the issue that they have with a good amount of positions. You don't know if it's Curtis Samuel or Terry McLaurin or, De- or John Dodson, right? There is no defined wide receiver one. That's a huge problem, right? When you have no no defined wide receiver one, you're just spreading it and sprinkling it amongst everybody else. You kind of have to have one take the game over a little bit, right? Or at least two take the game over. You can't really have three and four sit around and be at the same level. It just doesn't really work, and it's not a disrespect to them. It's just one guy kind of has to be your go-to, or two guys have to be your go-to. So I will say that, um, and the same thing can be said for their running back room, right? Um, Brian Robinson at least seems to be turning the Jets on. I don't know what happened with Antonio Gibson over the years. What happened with him? Why is he all of a sudden this year just not not playing well? He, he's among one of the worst running backs in the league right now. So this this also feels very weird. Some players I thought were, were game breakers being game breakers, and some aren't. So um, that's a testament. I think the commanders just didn't wind up pulling ahead. But what a game for A.J. Brown, huh? Yeah, A.J. Brown going against the rookie. They kind of went back and forth a little bit, and A.J. Brown ends up just getting the best of him, which is to be expected, I believe. I go back to Ron Rivera a little bit here. Over the years, over over recent memory, he's made a he's said a couple things to the media that kind of makes you think, Ron, you should have kept that one to yourself. And this week he did again. He said, 
he didn't go for the two-point conversion because his offense was gassed. I don't think that that should be the reason. If your, off, your offense is tired, Philly's defense is tired. And they had a debacle over the offseason about the offense came to him and said, we're working too hard. This is too much because Eric Bieniemy was putting them to work. And now they come out and say that the offense is gassed. I'm just so confused here. It doesn't make sense. But a positive performance overall for the commanders here. I mean, to stay within the Eagles, three points, take them to overtime. I mean, commanders are for real. The Eagles are a really good team. But yeah, A.J. Brown definitely getting the best of Emmanuel Forbes out there. Just, you know, did what we really expected him to do. 175 yards, two touchdowns. Not much more you can do. Nope. Next up, we got the Steelers at the Texans. The Texans playing amazing. CJ Stroud looks so good. Steelers, not sure what they're doing. Kenny Pickett sustained an injury. He might be out for a little bit. I think it was a bone bruise to his knee. But in the game that I believe J.J. Watt was inducted into the Texans' Ring of Honor, the Texans' Hall of Fame, whatever they call it, Big game for them, and they come out and they just dominate the Steelers team, which the Steelers have a good defense. Steelers haven't quite gotten it going yet on offense, but still limit them to six points and put up 30 against them. A great game. Weird thing, though, for the Steelers, the second week in a row, they've had plane issues, mechanical issues. Last week, they had to stop in Kansas City and get the plane worked on. They were on the tarmac for over 12 hours. This week, they had another issue with the plane. What is going on for the Steelers? Nothing seems to be going right. Huh, and, and that's very, um, very true, right? I mean, everything that, that you want to see from them has just been the inverse, right? You want to see more from Pickett. He's looked very bad. Um, <laughs> you never want to see Trubisky to step in the game. He stepped in the game. Um, you know, Fryermuth has taken a little bit of a step back these last two weeks. He's just not had enough play because the ball doesn't get to him, right? The, the line is, is really the, the contingent problem, though. That line cannot protect for itself, let alone its quarterback. Um, and, and more than anything else in the world for them right now, I, I just don't think Kenny Pickett is it. I just don't. I think that pick wound up turning out as as bad as it could have been. So you real know, quick, no, not to cut you off, you think the problem is Kenny Pickett as opposed to the offensive coordinator? I do. Uh, I, I believe it's not on Matt Canada. I do think there are some – play issues with Kenny Pickett. I do think a lot is on Matt Canada, no question. I am not going to sit here and pretend like he's not a problem. He is a real issue. I don't think the play calling is great. But I also think a lot of that is on the line being just cruddy. Okay. I don't think they've developed that line enough. It, it, it's not a it's not a love or hate to Matt Canada. It's not a love or hate to Kenny Pickett. I feel like I'm just telling it like it is. I don't think Pickett's NFL ready. Um, and Trubisky as a backup helps you this much, helps you goose egg. Um, Najee is, is genuinely trying, but when you have nobody to block you and you can't find gaps against skilled defenses, I'm sorry, you're just not going to play that great. And you can say that Jalen Warren's a wrecking ball too, but neither of those guys can find a gap or find anything that, that's really, really, really um, contingent upon high play level. The only guy I really see on that offensive line that seems to be kind of playing well as opposed to any, everybody else in the line is Isaac Samoyao. And even he's not, you know, league breaking as it stands. I don't think it's unfair to say. So um, that defense, however, is is very good. Uh, TJ Watt is still playing fantastic. Uh, Keanu Benton's been a, a complete revelation. Same with Alex Highsmith. Those two guys have been game breakers. And and uh, Cole Holcomb has his moments, but he's been good. 
And the last thing I'll say about the Steelers' defense is that if Minka Fitzpatrick can ever just keep his temper down, I think he still has that play level. But if he's just going to be, um, you know, just spoiled and angry and mad all the time, then he's just going to wind up drilling himself into a hole where he'll get suspended or likely just an injury sustainability problem. A couple quick thoughts for me here. Najee Harris goes for over 100 total yards on offense. He averages over five yards a carry, probably the best game we've seen from him all season. And somehow he's the leading receiver for the Steelers. And he had one reception, one reception for 32 yards. Just, just crazy. And we've been praising the Steelers defense. They've been playing pretty good overall. And they let up 30 points to the Texans, which is surprising. But C.J. Stroud, in my opinion, so far, the best rookie quarterback we've seen this year. Throws for over 300 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Runs for another 16 yards. He's just commanding out there. He's playing with a lot of no-names, too. Nico Collins, 168 yards, two touchdowns. Nobody knows him before this season. Dalton Schultz, 42 yards. Getting a couple guys going. I know him. He's a Michigan alumni. Reed's the only person that knows him. Tank Dell, I mean, he hasn't really gotten involved yet. A couple, couple of rushes in there. But this offense is just kind of firing on all cylinders with these guys that aren't household names yet. And Damian Pierce, 81 yards, just kind of getting a little bit of production all over the field. This Houston Texans team could be a, a true wildcard team this year. Well, we'll, we'll have to see. It, it does feel a little bit Colts-like right how, how they're just stepping up um and, and still at 500 as a rebuilding quote-unquote team um but yeah no that offense looks like it's fantastic nico collins is a revelation um tank dell is a revelation uh and i think you can say in some ways uh tj stroud is a revelation right you, you just don't expect this play level out of a rookie like this and he's been surprising everybody with how great he's been so far uh through these last two games at least um some some games earlier in the season weren't the biggest uh Biggest reflection positively in him, but also a lot of play in the defense just looks very capable. I think Will Anderson is is at least getting into the level we think he could have been. Tavier Thomas, a cornerback who just graduated, uh, I believe, from Ferris State uh, in Michigan, he's a revelation. He he's been around for a couple of years, but but this has really been his his breakout season. He had a little bit in twenty twenty one of a showing, but this is fantastic. Same thing with Stephen Nelson, the uh, the 2015 draft pick is looking like he's turning things around to his old form where he was close to being a pro bowler. So, yeah, no, a lot of this defense looks like it's it's playing a big role, too. So if they can keep that up with no injuries and a lot of sustainability, there's there's potential, man. There's potential in that team. Yeah, a young team, a lot of potential. Fun to watch, really, and I just can't believe that they dominated like this. I don't believe Matt Canada has ever had a 400-yard game with the Steelers. And C.J. Stroud almost had that by himself, but the Texans, they come into the Texans and the Texans put up 400 yards against them, which is not really that uncommon in the NFL. Matt Canada just not able to do it. Mike Tomlin said this week that there will be some changes. There has to be some changes. And you have to wonder if Matt Canada will be that change. Tough to install a new offense when you've already started the season. Maybe that's a personnel change. Not quite sure. Who knows if we'll see Kenny Pickett out there this weekend. I hope that we do playing the Ravens, which will be a great matchup. On to the 430 games. The first one, Raiders at Chargers. This is the best of the 430 games. The other two games, Cardinals at 49ers. The 49ers win 35-16, to 16, and that was just kind of a blowout. The 49ers do what they do. Patriots at Cowboys. The Cowboys get back on track 38-3. to 
Bill Belichick's biggest loss ever. But can we stop the fighting with the fans? Another fight in the Raiders and Chargers game, like real punches thrown to somebody's face in this game. Like, what is this? Like the third or fourth week we've seen fans getting into real fights and it has resulted in absolutely awful situations. Like, can we just stop this? This is not, we're going there to have fun, to watch a game. Why has it got to escalate to this? Uh, you know, I think people beyond COVID just can't seem to act rationally. And, and this has to be a byproduct of that, right? When you're isolated alone for a year, um, I think this is a byproduct of, of need to lash out. I don't think it's even remotely okay what's going on. Where do we draw the line on, on like making a lengthy enough arrest for people that get in a fight at a football game in stadiums with children around, with with women around so women getting involved in fights you know where where do we draw the line tyler i i don't know but it, it seems to be almost we almost post covid ha, have just lost respect and rules and and it's hard to follow it's hard to track the logic of, of why why is this acceptable or okay uh, i'm not saying that this wasn't ever a thing before this has happened a bunch of times but it's only escalated more and more and more and, and it's just a byproduct of, of, of people acting out because they feel like they can with no repercussions. Or if repercussions happen, they're willing to take the repercussions over the current standing they have in the world right now. Hopefully we don't see this anymore this season well, we or will. ever, but it. We will. it just seems like it's not stopping. Chargers do leave here with a win. It kind of got a little dramatic at the end. It felt like all three of these games were going to be blowouts, and then the Chargers kind of let the Raiders back in. Justin Herbert got the finger problem. I think he dislocated it. He got this. He has the splint on it. It's third and 10 deep in their own territory after they had an interception where the guy could have returned it. And if you watch on the sideline, Brandon Staley gives him the stop sign, tells him don't return it, go down, go down. And then the chargers end up in a third and 10 situation. It seems like the chargers might slip, might let this game slip away again, but Justin Herbert throws a dime on third and 10, a big conversion to seal this game. Any thoughts on any of these 430 games? When does Staley get fired? Soon. It's got to be soon. The decisions he makes is just incredible. Yeah, that, that ownership group has to has to step in soon, right? Something has to be done. I know that they're a pretty quiet group as well. They don't really say much. Um, but but that ownership group needs to step in at some point and say enough is enough, right? Um, listen, we've done that many times where we have to step in and say, this isn't enough. We, we can't, this can't continue. This can't persist. Right. Um, I, I, and I can say the same thing about um, McDaniels. When, when is it his time? When is it his time to go? Right. It, it's gotta be soon. Uh, I, but seriously, this is just incomparable. Um, I will say this, you do have to find a replacement fast. And, and how do you do that in the NFL when you're amidst week, about to be week six, I don't know, but that has to happen. These two guys are are not capable. They cannot they cannot function. Same can be said in, in Pitt with Matt Canada. He's got to be close to being fired. So this no accountability thing, and we're keeping guys until you know we we physically cannot keep doing it. Um, isn't going to work. You got to get them. You got to let them go. Find people. Yeah, with a roster like the Chargers have, this kind of stuff cannot be happening. Raiders. Should be looking for a new head coach as well. And just one quick thing before we get into the Sunday night football game, the Patriots suffered a couple major injuries against the Cowboys. 
Matthew Judon and Christian Gonzalez both out indefinitely with injuries. Gonzalez got a shoulder injury and Judon with a bicep injury, which is obviously a massive blow. Two of their best defensive pieces, two of their best players. So they're sure going to be missing them. Hopefully they're back soon. Let's get into one of the best games from the weekend, which is so surprising. I don't think we would have picked this to be one of the best games. Kansas City Chiefs travel into a packed MetLife Stadium to play the Jets. Taylor Swift's there. All the stars are out. Aaron Rodgers makes the trip down. And the game starts off, you know, in Kansas City's favor. Kind of what we expected. 17-0 in the first quarter. And then things kind of change. The Jets get a safety. And then the, the juices start flowing. The crowd gets back into it. And at halftime, it's 12-20 to 20 in favor of the Chiefs. And then the second half, the Jets get it tied up 20-20 to 20 going into the fourth quarter. And at the end of the game, the Chiefs end up kicking a field goal to win this game 23-20. to 20. But, but if you were watching this game, you can't, you can't deny how good Zach Wilson played. In, in the face of adversity, all this talk from Joe Namath, of all people, roasting Zach Wilson about how he shouldn't be on the team, he shouldn't be playing. And Zach Wilson goes in and gets it done. Zach, I, I saw a stat, which is insane from OptaStats on Twitter. Zach Wilson of the New York Jets is the only opposing QB to have more completions, more passing yards, and more touchdown passes with fewer interceptions than Patrick Mahomes in a Mahomes start in college or pro. And that includes 127 total starts. Nobody ever plays Patrick Mahomes. And of all people, Zach Wilson did. Think about all these Swifties, all these people tuning in for the first time to watch Travis Kelsey and see Taylor Swift on TV. And then to see... Zach Wilson go out here and ball, and they think Zach Wilson is a stud. And he played like it on Sunday night. The biggest mistake, though, was that fumble that he had in the end of the game. They were driving, and he lets up the fumble. The Chiefs end up going down, kicking a field goal to win it. If he doesn't fumble the ball, the Jets probably win this game. And a big quote coming out from Zach Wilson, very uncharacteristic of him from what we heard in the past. He said, it's not on the defense, it's on me. Critical situation like that, I can't drop the ball. I lost us the game. Before we've talked about this, he said, when they asked, is this your fault that you lost? He said, no. He said, no, after the team scored three or six points. So he's maturing, played his best game probably ever as a Jet and keeps him in this. What were your thoughts on this crazy game, one of the best games of the weekend? Yeah, this was another revelation to me, man. (laughs) I don't think that he played uh, awful by any stretch of the imagination. I think he he was one of the better players in the field, which is fantastic. I mean, good for him. Um, one thing of, of note, just to at least kind of keep in mind, I don't think that this team has the, the longevity by any stretch. But what if this just becomes a more consistent theme with him, uh, you know? I, I don't want to sit here and, and, and play games and pretend like he's he's – just this astonishing franchise player, which no one even even remotely thinks of him as. But what if what if this is a step in the right direction, right? What if this is a little bit more of a consistent Zach Wilson than we expected? Um, you know, then then we kind of have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, well, what if what if this trade for for Rogers just d- doesn't really feel like it was needed after all? Um, and may, may, who knows? May, maybe Wilson is learning something from from Aaron, and maybe he's taking some things away. And maybe it's not <laughs> obviously. Again, we go back to the quote of "I'm going to make the whoever's up against me their life hell and practice." Thing. <laughs> Listen, I think he's just saying that to try and be a confident guy, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
But I think when when you are so overconfident that you're saying to yourself in this almost denial-like fashion that I'm not the problem against the defense, and then you turn around and say you're accountable, maybe there's some turnaround to be had, right? I expected to see this a little bit sooner. We talked about this, and I thought that in the face of adversity with Aaron Rodgers down, it looked like a new Zach Wilson, and we did not get that for the first four weeks. And now we've gotten that. And he played a great game last night. It, I think everybody recognized that he played a great game. And like you said, this might be the start to the future for the Jets, at least for this season. And NBC reported that Aaron Rodgers is trying to come back this season, which is crazy and a whole other story. But at the end of the game, everybody, every interview, they were talking to Chiefs players and between Patrick Mahomes and Chris Jones talking about how good Zach Wilson played. And I think it's, very uncharacteristic for the media to be asking the star quarterback of the winning team about how well the losing team's quarterback played. And Patrick Mahomes and Chris Jones were both super complimentary about how Zach Wilson played. And it was, I thought it was just great to see people kind of rallying behind him after all the backlash he's gotten the last couple of weeks. I can't take the Chiefs seriously right now if all we're going to get on social media is Taylor Swift at this point. It was fun the last week that we saw it against the Bears. It's annoying now. We, and we've only had one full week to really recover from all of last week's you know, stuff with Taylor. I can't take that locker room seriously right now again. It's, it's like you had me convinced for a second if that was just a one-week thing. But if we're going to keep consistently doing this where Taylor showing up in each individual game that Kelsey plays – like I'm just over that now. It, it's it was a two week carousel, and this carousel can stop. The the one week that we had it was cool, and it was fun, and we had a fun time with that. But I'm over it after only a week, right? It's over for yeah. me. And then you know everyone's like Donna's, you know Donna's, you know the 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 leader of the pack, the leader of the family, and and she's the one taking all the coverage and and stuff, and and. You know, listen, good for her to get some more press because she, you know, as a football parent, you want to see your child succeed. But listen, this is all this is all too PRE for me. Um, Chris Jones really feels like he's one of the level headed guys in the room right now. Um, I'd see a little bit more about Kadarius Tony, too, because he doesn't seem to like talk, talk a bunch or, or talk to the media a bunch. He keeps to himself and he's a pretty reserved dude. So. Um, and the same with Pacheco. He doesn't talk a lot as well. So it, it, it's good when you don't talk as much and, and the, the light's not always on you. So commendable on Chris Jones for not completely trashing Zach Wilson when he should have and could have, but he didn't. Yeah, I want to get into this game. My final thought on this is there's always been like a little bit of a story around the Chiefs. It was Brittany Mahomes and it was Jackson Mahomes. Now it's Taylor Swift. And I'm sure you saw the NFL change their Instagram bio to the Chiefs are 2-0 as Swifties. I believe that they changed their Twitter banner to pictures of Taylor Swift. Like, it's turning into this big thing. And then, yeah, I mean, you saw all the flags. Like, is it, is are the refs helping the Chiefs win? Like, NFL want this to continue. Like, I think that most football fans are a little bit tired of it. She can come to every game, but you don't have to show her 20 times on the TV and reference her as much as you do. Um, obviously, she brings a lot to the game, a whole new market, but very interesting. Let's get into the game, though. A lot of talk about the background stuff. Isaiah Pacheco, you mentioned him. What a game he had. He played so solid. 20 carries, 115 yards, ripped off a super long touchdown run to break the game open at the beginning. Uh, he played really well. Travis Kelsey played pretty good, too. 60 yards, six receptions. But, I mean, the big story here 
the Jets offense, Zach Wilson just, I feel like they let him loose. They kind of got him out of the pocket a little bit. They protected him really well. And when he was pressured, he made really good decisions. So what'd you think about, what'd you think about this game? No, it was overall a, a great game, I think, on both ends of the spectrum. You can say the Jets played fantastic. You can say Zach Wilson played fantastic. Brees Hall had some moves I liked, and and I think he's starting to at least get that full healthiness back. And hopefully, at some point soon, he can play a, a, a defensive line that he can beat. Because right now, that line looks tired. They look depleted. They look pretty gassed. So there are some things to absolutely admire about that Jets team and how much of a fight they put up, but... Listen, at the end of the day, the Chiefs wound up coming out with a victory. I thought the showing with Chiefs fans was was honestly in some spots even bigger than Jets fans. So the Chiefs fans definitely showed out um, and balled out, understanding that this was a, a game where they need to at least bounce back and not lose to a lower-ranked team. But it was close. Uh, for a lot of people that at least bet this game, the spread covered miraculously. Um I still think you're a bit foolish if you decided to pick the complete game on the Jets, but I, I can't say that you are because it was a three-point game and you can't really, while you lost bets, for example, it, it wasn't that awful. It was a three-point game and spreads covered. That's miraculous to me. The The Jets' defense is for real, and I think that it's tough for them to rally around Zach Wilson. And for once, we saw people going up, like we saw – Jets players going up to Zach Wilson after the game and just like trying to cheer him up, trying to be there for him because obviously he ended up being the reason that they lost that game, but he played so well. I just can't, I can't say it enough how well he played and to see like Randall Cobb, even sauce Gardner go up to him and congratulate him. I think that that's awesome. And the Jets defense played super well there for real, just a, a good game all in all and a lot of fun to watch. And the final game of the weekend, Monday Night Football, Seahawks at Giants. Really a beatdown for the Giants here. Daniel Jones, a, a great primetime record of 1-12 in primetime, and we get to see him a few more times. Seattle defense flying around 11 sacks, two interceptions with a pick six. They allowed three points, and they had four players with multiple sacks. I mean, give me your thoughts here. So that about sums yep. it up. <laughs> yep. No, literally. Um, no, that was so lame. <laughs> I, I can't even elaborate on how boring that felt. It just, um, it, you know what it was, Tyler? It felt like it was a drag to watch. It really did. Yeah. <laughs> I saw nothing in the Giants that that confirmed that this team is a contender. And look at them now. Aren't, aren't they last place in the division? Yeah, they got to be. No, I, it's so... It's a true testament to how much they suck without Saquon Barkley. It's honestly a testament. Um, no, nothing about Daniel Jones looked convincing, um, or at least that told me enough of like he, he's having the last season he had and, and, and keeping this form going. And it stinks to see, you know, as a fan who's always been more Duke over over North Carolina, kind of want to see the Duke guy succeed a little bit more. But yeah, no, he's he's been rough. Um, and and I can't I can't really say with full certainty that like this team is is capable of going long even with Saquon. I I have concerns with them. What if he comes back and he just doesn't keep that play level up again? Like that's a huge 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 problem. Um, Brita had some important points in the game where I'm like he did not play awful. There were some moments where I'm like this the, you know this is a little bit more capable than not. The startup of the game was fantastic. It was close. It was a defensive battle. 
Um, but yeah, Seattle, you know, they, they looked the better team throughout pretty much the whole entire game. Um, now, the saddening part to see, as someone who's been a fan uh, of him since he was pretty much drafted Jets and kind of wanted to see him succeed to the league, um, Jamal Adams is a tough watch, right? You know, you know that's a tough see. I, I've always wanted to be sold that he's one of the better safeties in the league, but man, he has not caught a break since about the time he's been traded to Seattle. There just has not been a point in time where he can just be satisfactory with his play level and his fans. I, I think the same thing can be said, right? We can't be satisfied if he's going to be hurt most of the time. And that sucks to see. He had those real flashes and, and signs of brilliance, at least to start this season, going in fully healthy, almost no problems. He goes down. He does not come back in this game. And we have no update as of right now unless something else has been said. Yeah, I mean, that was a brutal hit. He works back from injury. He gets in to his first game of the season. And I believe it was, wasn't it the first drive of the game? He goes down. It's just an awful hit. And I mean, concussion protocol, obviously they took him back into the locker room, did not okay. see him again. So, so. that poses a, a, a more interesting question. Who is Red Hat Guy? And what does Red Hat Guy do? I guess he's just a unbiased, like third party person that evaluates for concussion because I mean, you saw how upset he was, and it makes it so that I just think with that unbiased guy, you're it's a little bit more, since they don't have a stake in the game, they're able to evaluate it from a different perspective, from more of a safety and health perspective, as opposed to ulterior motives to the game kind of perspective. Red, Red Hat guy's weird, though, because you would think the team's just like, yeah, no, we're going to make sure that you don't play because we believe that it's in your best interest to not do that and not even talk to, to Dable. They should make that decision on their own. I don't need red hat guy getting yelled at and, and him having to take him out of the game. That's just the weirdest thing ever. I, I don't, I don't know who red hat guy is. They never explained who red hat guy is, but you would see it on social media. And I'm like, I, I want to know who this human is. I'm sure it's a concussion protocol indicator person. And that's fine. But, but like, He's in a suit and a red hat, and he's making sure that Jamal Adams can or can't play. I don't. I want to know more about Red Hat Person. I, I, I just want to pick Red Hat Person's brain on, on why you would say, yes, Jamal Adams, you can play. No, Jamal Adams, you cannot play. But why is he getting yelled at by Jamal Adams? Why is it in my social media feed at all? I don't know, but Red Hat Guy is an intriguing character. Yeah, it's very interesting. The Seahawks dominate this game, even with the loss of Jamal Adams. I hope that he's back soon. I mean, he just, like you said, he just can't catch a break. The The Giants almost get something going. They're down 14-3 to start the second half. They get a good drive going, and uh, was, that, was that the pick six, or was that the fumble? They, they drove down the field, and you could see at one point, the video is going viral of how mad Brian Dayball was with Daniel Jones. They paid Daniel Jones all this money, and now they start off one and three. Daniel Jones is not playing good at all. Two interceptions. One was a pick six, 203 yards. So not what you want from a guy that you're paying $160 million for. No, no, it's, it's true, and it's it's just a wild ending to to what was supposed to be a, a decent giant season. But with no, uh, with no Barkley, I think we kind of know who they are and their identity, and it's not great. Um, I will say in the Seahawks' end, when are we going to get the Smith and Jigba, like – highly touted supposed to be like the elite guy. Like we, we went into the, into the draft thinking that he's a, 
he's a top 15er. And what have we gotten so far? Like 62 yards so far. Yeah, we got five yards from him last night, which is not what we expected at all. I, I don't know. They just working him in slow because they got Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. It was a surprising pick for me to see them take them with these two good wide receivers, but now they're just not using him. So, like, you're right. When's he going to break out? Yeah, I, I just don't know the moment. It's weird. Uh, Metcalf and Lockett get almost all of the touches on their own. Um, and then I they're, they're doing this weird thing where they think that that Kenneth Walker is, like, worse than Zach Charbonnet. Like, Charbonnet gets, like, more touches than him. But then Walker goes for more yards. Uh, and, and listen, as, as a Michigan alum guy, I want to see Charbonnet like succeed. But no disrespect to him, he's not Kenneth Walker. I think we understand that. No, you're right. The Seahawks team is getting it going on the run in the run game and the passing game. Geno Smith did not play his best game. Only threw for one ten. Did not have an interception though. And I mean, he didn't have to do a whole lot. Drew Locke comes in. D- Geno Smith goes out. Drew Locke comes in. What a drive that was. He threw a long, he threw a pass to um, he threw a pass to Noah Fant, former Broncos teammates, goes for what 40, 50 yards, and then they end up punching it in for the touchdown. So Drew Locke comes in, doesn't miss a beat. Geno Smith ends up coming back in, which is great news for the Seahawks. And the Seahawks seem to just have a great defense as well. Bobby Wagner showing out two sacks with 17 total tackles. I mean, you can't get much better than that. The Seahawks are looking for real. The Giants are looking like this is what we're going to see for the rest of the season. Any final thoughts on this game? Yeah, I want your opinion on, on that first play. Do you think Kenneth Walker was down or do you think he was uh, he was still running? That's a great question because we didn't even get into all the flags that could have been thrown in the Chiefs game, which I think that people were upset that the game ended up turning out like it was because – the Chiefs didn't get flagged on some plays, but at the same time, I think it went the other way as well. So that all evens out between the Chiefs and the Jets flag-wise. But to your question, the refs, that was an interesting play because it seemed like he was down, then he ran in for the touchdown. At first, I thought he wasn't down. And then I watched the replay again. I thought he wasn't down. And then I saw his butt hit the ground, and I believe that his butt did hit the ground. That right cheek just barely hits the ground, and I believe that he is down. What do you think? Yeah, you know, listen, if 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 we're going to count body parts as being down, then any body part going down, that's that's whether it's hand, whether it's elbow, whether it's arm, whether it's, you know, tippy toe outside of bounds, and then we have to rule it that way, right? Um, I do, I do want to say I don't think that Walker's elbow hits the ground. I think it hits the defender's arm, and it's still up. I think that would have been a fair touchdown, honest, honest to God, because none of none of his body itself is in his feet. Um, although you could say his feet were technically on the ground, his knee didn't touch, his thigh didn't touch the ground. I think his elbow brushed up against that defender. I think that's a touchdown. Thank you guys for joining us in another episode of the Sofa Sports Podcast. Until next time. 